Thank you for downloading Season 5, Episode 20 of Baseball Pitching the Fix, featuring baseball pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, and we are in our final episode of Season 5, Episode 20. We're recording right around the end of February. By the time you hear this, it may already be March. And we really hope that you enjoyed our little off-season series. This is a new thing for us. You know, helping out the coaches a little more with the coaching the coaches segment. You know, we'd love to hear your feedback if you uh, want to let us know if we should do this again next year. We surely had a really good time doing it, and we got a lot of good feedback through the off season, and feel like it was a good thing. But ultimately, it's up to you. So, listener, if you liked it, let us know. We'd really appreciate it. And just so you're aware, we will be starting season six about a week before opening day, as in Major League Baseball opening day. So. Look for us around the third week of March and we'll be ready to go. So in the meantime, let's finish out our final episode of season five. Angel, I have to tell you, I'm I'm over here on the East Coast and it just stopped snowing. So it's not really feeling like baseball season to me, but uh, we're in full swing in Florida and Arizona and out there in California. I believe you're also knee deep into baseball. So how's how are things going over there? Well, we're actually knee deep into mud. It is so bad on the fields. All we've had is rain, rain, rain. So we're all heading indoors. And when it doesn't rain, we're on the field. But the mud is so deep that every step you take, you sink down about six, seven inches. So it's pretty bad. The mounds are good, but the space that I walk around on is not good. So we're suffering out here too. But thank God we have a lot of great indoor a facility. So, um, you know, that's what we've been doing. Anything's better than the snow. So I feel for you. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the conditions that you're describing right now remind me a lot of baseball in Ireland. It sounds like, you know, right in the middle of the baseball season out there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, well, yeah. The only reason I say that is because I have a little, little interest in um, baseball in Ireland. And, and I can tell you that just the fact that it's not pouring rain is usually a good day for baseball. So Wow. Yeah. In any case, this episode, I just wanted to kick things off with a little bit of news because we've had a lot of things going on with MLB and the MLB Players Association. Uh, The owners and the players are kind of going back and forth with some different rules changes that are supposedly to help the game and make it a little more interesting and make it faster and make it more exciting and yada, yada, yada traditionalist like me, I will reserve my judgment until a later date because I don't feel like getting up on the soapbox. But in any case, there was one particular rule change consideration that really jumped out at me. There hasn't been a whole lot of buzz about it, and I don't think it's going to happen at the MLB level at any time soon. But there's some talk about moving the pitcher's mound back. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly how many feet they want to go back, but I can tell you that there's enough talk about it that they will be moving the mound back in, I believe it's the Atlantic League, which is an independent baseball league over here on the East Coast. It's interesting to me because I, I would think that moving the mound even just a few feet back, and, and they're also proposing that they lower it, would have a pretty substantial or significant effect on pitchers who have been training at 60 feet, six inches their whole lives. Now, all of a sudden, they may be throwing at 61 feet, 62 feet. I'm really not sure what the exact measurement would be, but I would think even just a foot or two could have a significant impact on how a pitcher's training, how a pitcher throws the ball, how the pitcher's pitches are going to move. So I thought this would be an interesting topic to throw at you because you being the pitching motion expert, I really wonder how might a change like this affect a pitcher in his training and in his motion and his timing and everything else? I I just figured I would throw that at you and see what you thought. Well, I uh, actually have been hearing about all these things. And uh, in the future shows, we will be talking about the pitch clock and spin rate and all the other topics that seem to be so popular now. But this was one that I found intriguing. And actually, as you were just saying it, I'm First of all, if it's only a, a foot or two, is completely different than moving it back to 70 feet, which is a question that a reporter raised in some article. And I don't know, know if he had some information or whatever. Uh, is 10 feet 
they couldn't move anything back that far because it would really squeeze the second base, wouldn't it, in terms of where the mound is? I mean, doesn't the field have – the dimensions would have to change somewhere else too, am I right? Yeah, there's some balance with the, the diamond, yeah. Yeah, so it couldn't be 70 feet. But let's just talk about – they're going to probably do it in some increment that would make some difference, which my guess is it's going to be at least – well, let's put it this way. Younger pitchers – mostly change their pitching distance by four to six feet, depending on the age. So, you know, for example, you go from 54 to 60. I think you go from 50 to 54. I mean, there's 46. I mean, pitchers come in and say weird numbers to me, and I always have to check because I don't work with that many youth pitchers. But they've already established that normal changes between throwing to pitching distances is probably four to six feet. So the last jump is 54 to 60, I believe. So anyway, that's probably a number that people have found it makes a difference. And yet it's not something they haven't done before. So with that in mind, it's interesting to me why they're doing this. But just as every pitcher out there had to go through pitching distance changes, they're going to have to do that. If they have to do it, they'll do it. The most important thing is the major leagues give the pitchers enough warning on this. And so therefore, for example, it would be awful if they made this change in the middle of a season, unless they're looking for problems. Because the deal is, first of all, whenever you take a younger kid and you move him to a greater distance, he loves it. He loves it. When I have a pitcher that is pitching at a shorter distance or throwing at a shorter distance because he's injured, you don't see the same quality of the motion that you get when you move him back to 60 feet where he feels like he can let it go. In my opinion, I'm not sure what their goal is. I think they're always trying to make things harder for the hitter. And maybe hard because there's so many, I don't know, Joe, there's so many home runs right now, right? Right. You mean they're making it harder for the pitcher, making it easier for the hitter? Excuse me. Hard, they're, they're trying to make it easier for the hitter and harder for the pitcher. But here's what, here's what I think. And I am completely coming at this from just somebody who works only with pitching when it's not in a game. I work with pitching flat ground. I work with flat ground throwing. I work with the pitcher individually for an hour. So I get a good feel for their personal take. And they tell me things and say things that they might not say in a practice, et cetera. But I can tell you this, and this is why long distance throwing became popular. A pitcher who is given a little more distance will probably let it go in more of a freer fashion especially at the beginning, because he's aware he's got to throw harder. So he will probably have to come to terms with deriving the power mostly from his body because it's going to feel so different. But when you have them do things that are at a longer distance now, they tend to like it. And the reason why it's become popular is because they think they throw harder. And if you take the distance and then match it to proper mechanics. In other words, they're not changing their delivery. They're taking their delivery and having to use more power because again, they're going to want to hit their spots. I think what you're going to have is an adjustment that isn't going to create more difficulty. I think what you're going to see is uh, balls that are actually probably remaining the same in velocity or going up. Now, they're not going to be releasing as close to the plate because the hand will be further away from the plate. Even let's take a pitcher who's releasing as close to the plate as is humanly possible for his length body. So he can't release closer. So you might think, well, if you remove it back, that same pitch is not going to get there as quickly. But what I think is, is given that extra distance and the intent that the pitcher has to still keep the ball down, and he's got to still hit his spots, especially at the beginning of this, when this is new, they are going to throw equally, if not more, with more velocity. And I know it sounds crazy, but I see what happens to pitchers when you quote unquote open them up. And pitchers that are really good and can find their spots, 
It will take a little bit of adjustment, but not as much as anyone thinks, but definitely not so easily that you can introduce it in the middle of a season and expect no decrement in performance. That would be inhuman for them to create this for this season. If they're thinking of this for the, you know, 2020 season, they need to get that information out as soon as the season's over. And all pitchers and coaches need to start making adjustments as soon as that's the way it's going to go. But I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think pitchers can adapt and it's not going to be that great of a distance. Now, if they moved it back much, much further, which they can't because of the spacing of the field, um, I think that would be a whole different topic. But you, there are incremental differences. You know, pitchers historically go back 70 feet, 75 feet. They use shuffle steps. So they feel a little bit more power. The other thing is uh, I noticed when I'm working with mechanics, this is the reason why when I'm working with an injured pitcher and he's coming back or a pitcher, for some reason, we have to keep him at a shorter distance working with his motion. There are many errors they make at a shorter distance that iron themselves out when you get to a longer distance because the shorter distance kind of cramps their style. So there's errors that I see that I don't address at 45 feet because I know his arm action is held back. Plus at 45 feet, if let's say you're having him go downhill at 45 feet, the pitcher is aware of not hurting the catcher. So he's, he's sort of like holding back. The minute he gets to 60, everything looks good. So as a troubleshooter, I have to say, oh, that arm doesn't look exactly right. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to address that till I see what he does at 60. So giving this extra few feet may not produce the result that they think it is. And I think this is why they're experimenting. Now, the poor Atlantic League, these guys are in season and they're going to, and I know that they are the experimental league that helps them work things out. I know they're going to be using the track man there to call balls and strikes and some other things that they're going to be working with. But I think it's going to be interesting to see, but I don't think it's going to produce what they think it's going to produce. I would agree with that. Uh, You know, they're looking to just give more of an advantage to the hitter and speed up the game at the same time. Well, uh, this is really isn't the forum for that, but I, I can tell you that once you start moving back, the ball is going to be moving more mm-hmm. from the pitcher's hand. You're going to get more movement. You're going to get more run, as they say, and more sink, which means you're probably going to get more balls running off the plate unless mm-hmm. you unless you then expand the plate or I don't know what they're going to do. And so you're, if you're going to get more walks, then that's going to slow down the game. Yes. I don't necessarily know that hitters are going to have that much more of an advantage if there's more if there's more run coming at them like if the ball just keeps running in on their hands mm-hmm. or it keeps sinking it's going to be hard to elevate it'll, it'll be interesting to see but there hasn't been any specifics about how far back they want to move it you know i'm thinking why don't you just put the pitcher on second base and let him take a running start like they do in cricket hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding i, I'm I kidding. know you are <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I have no idea why they're doing this. And in fact, in combination with some of the other things they're doing, uh, like the pitch clock, which we will reserve that topic for a future for probably our opening show. It sounds like they're trying to put the pitchers under more stress than anyone else on the team, which is, I guess, why they get the big bucks. But also, wow, you know, of course, I'm going stop picking on the pitchers. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But when pitchers are, the ball's going in the dirt, you move the catcher back a little bit and the pitcher looks at you like you're crazy. And then here he has done nothing. And then all of a sudden he's getting the ball over the plate. So when they see that difference, they tend to incrementally apply more power. And what this could do is actually create some better pitching. (laughs) So I don't think it's going to be, I don't think they're going to be getting creating more of an advantage to the hitter. And I think the points you're bringing up, which are, you know, the actual pitching stuff. Yeah. The balls are going to move differently and probably in a way that's going to improve. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the only thing I uh, hope. And I know that this, I can't believe the MLB would be this dumb, but any change like this has to come with ample time because you can't make a change like that in season 
because then you're going to produce injuries. Adaptation to anything that changes and something you've been doing has to be given time to work itself out. So, Right. And you know, you mentioned that the pitchers will adjust. It just occurred to me as, as you said that, you know, maybe if the pitchers have to throw from say 65 feet instead of 60, I wonder if you know, all of this incredible focus on arm speed toward velocity would suddenly change and move more toward the things that you do, which is using the whole body and using correct timing and, you know, using, using correct separation and lower body. I mean, because if you're, if you need to throw another four or five feet, Mm -hmm. you need to use your entire body. You can't, you can't get away with just, you know, firing your arm as fast as you can. So I I wonder if such a change would maybe move pitchers toward a healthier, healthier deliveries and, and get their timing down. Yes. And actually talking about timing, I think that's going to lead us into the next segment, which for our coaching the coaches, I think you wanted to talk about an epidemic of timing that's going on. Yes, uh, and it is a great segue. And also, I do want to mention, because I will be talking about the use of the body and some of the tendencies that are going on right now. But anyway, so there's been something that's been happening, Joe, for the last few months that I've been noticing. And then this morning, I was thinking about it. Now, I've been analyzing, I'm, I've been doing film analysis. I've been working with pitchers since 95, doing film analysis since 2001. I have not seen this problem to the level that it is until I just realized maybe the last hmm, four years, especially last four years, because I don't think we've been doing this for five seasons and you I've never talked about this issue as an epidemic, but it's so prevalent right now that it's important to talk about. And that is the timing, the timing problems that I'm seeing that pitchers are having specifically with the arm not being in the right place at the right time. And there's two places in the motion it needs to be at the right time or you're not going to be able to get the job done. So just as reference, I do, as you know, long distance analysis for coaches, pitchers, et cetera. They send me video for, you know, I have this pain, I have this problem, whatever. So I'm seeing video of pitchers of all ages from all over the country and of all levels, really good, average, and then, of course, you know, this is all I do all day, every day, is uh, work with pitchers. Angel? Yeah? When you say long-distance analysis, what you're talking about is like a Skype or, or a video being sent to you, not, not actually throwing long-distance, correct? Right, right. Oh, yeah. Thanks for... <laughs> wow. That's a good question, Joe. I'm glad you caught that. No, yes, they live long-distance, so they send me a video, and then I do... Uh, it's called a long-distance long distance client analysis. So. Anyway, thanks for clarifying that. So, yes, so I'm looking at video all day. So when I'm saying that I'm seeing an epidemic, I'm seeing it from all over the country. And normally the people I'm noticing in this are people that are coming to me. They're minor leaguers, indie players. They can be pros. They can be college. And they've got something that started to happen. They don't know what's going on. It's not something they ever had happened before but there's something wrong. And every time I look at the video of all these situations with clients of with this kind of complaint, it's the same thing. The arm starting out at the beginning of the motion, not being in the right place at the right time, being what we would call really late, and that then ending up giving them an arm that when they are supposed to start to accelerate the ball is in such a position where the ball isn't ready to be accelerated. So the body has to do crazy gyrations to get the ball in place. And the next thing you know it, the ball is not coming out of the hand the way that we want it to. Now, just to bring all this into focus, the main thing in pitching Because we've seen pitchers with pretty funky mechanics, but it's what they do with their hand when they release the ball, the wrist as it's giving the last moment of velocity to the ball, the fingers, of course, creating what they need to do with the ball. What the pitcher does at that moment is the most important thing 
for what we would call pitching, right? Getting guys out. So every adjustment with pitching, the pitching motion has to lead to either making sure that you're improving that part of the motion because he's having problems and looking for the cause of it within the pitching motion itself. So even if a guy is crazy mechanics, he can be great once he pulls himself out of all this and he may or may not get injured. But when you have the average pitcher, the regular pitcher, who he's having trouble with injury or around the plate especially, if you look to the motion, what I've been seeing is this problem with timing. And this is why there's so many certain types of injuries that are prevalent right now. So just to get everyone on the same page, let's look at the photo, which they've seen before. In episode 11, I talked about the stride foot contact position of the pitching motion and where the arm needs to be. So we're going to be focusing on the arm right now, because when I talk about what I'm seeing, I want you to understand as a troubleshooter, anybody who asks me, what's the first thing that needs to be done efficiently to create a good result? If your arm's not in the right place, it's stride foot contact, which is when the front foot touches the ground and everyone look at the first photo. And we've had this photo up before. Episode 11 talks about this photo, but I wanted to just bring it up again. The angle that you see at the arm, that is the ideal angle that you want. You notice his shoulder, his upper arm is up at 90 degrees. You notice that he's got a 90 degree angle between his forearm and his upper arm. And then you've got a certain angle to the forearm, which is actually showing how much rotation he has in his shoulder. That arm position there is critical. And if that forearm is parallel to the ground, that's considered late. And in the years that I started analyzing mechanics, I would see variations of this arm position from parallel to the ground, which is late, or his forearm being vertical at this point, which is early external rotation, both of which can cause problems. Well, I wish that is what I would be ta- I'm talking about now in terms of the epidemic. The epidemic that I'm seeing is that the forearm is vertical, perpendicular to the ground. The arm isn't even up at the shoulder. Sometimes the shoulder, the upper arm might be at shoulder height, but the forearm is down where the ball is down by the pitcher's knee, his right knee. And that is the epidemic that I'm seeing. Now, we know there have been pitchers who have had that style. And are you following me, Joe, with what I'm describing? Yeah, that's isn't it similar to uh, what some people call the inverted W? Well, yes, the inverted W, is, yes, that arm is really late. But this, yes, that's a, that's a form of a late arm. And I would, I would be addressing, uh, talking about that as well. Right. But it, it doesn't have to be that the elbows are pointed to the ceiling or to the sky. It can be just that he comes out of his glove. But yes, the ball is nowhere near where you see in this position here. And so this position is where I'm seeing the epidemic where they're not landing in that position. Now, I want to show you why this is, I think, a serious epidemic because it affects what the goal of the pitcher is, which is to accelerate the ball, to get into position to accelerate the ball, do that so efficiently that he's not compromising the very end product, which is the wrist and the fingers against the ball. So the ball has, and of course, nowadays when they're measuring spin rate, you know, and they think this is everything, where your fingers are actually doing exactly what you want it to do. So let's jump to the second photo. And what we've got here is I just grabbed a photo of a pitcher that right now is in what's called, he's in max external rotation. Obviously, this is a professional pitcher. You see the amount of external rotation he has. You can't even see his forearm. But what you are seeing is his hand, which has the ball in it, is directly in line with, well, everybody knows where the elbow is. So the point of his elbow, the part where you're leaning on if you're on a desk, is pointing towards the catcher. This is a perfect 90-degree angle max external rotation, meaning his shoulder is externally rotated to his maximum. 
And then, and this is what we as kinesiologists, qualitative and quantitative kinesiologists, we have to know where do phases start and end. What he's ready to do now is to go forward. His trunk will tilt forward. His right shoulder, which is like a tire, is exactly lined up the way your tire is when you're driving straight down the street. He's not in the middle of a turn. He's straight. Now that shoulder is going to accelerate forward with all its wonderful power as the elbow extends to bring the hand outward. And when all that's happening simultaneously, you get the ball out in front, the hand, the fingers are totally correctly placed behind the ball as his wrist imparts the velocity and the wrist imparts the movement to bring the fingers against the ball, you have a great delivery. And this guy happens to be a pitcher that can locate pitches. So that's what we have is an ideal max external rotation position. If that ball is not in this position here, let's say, look at this photo and just imagine if the ball was close to his ear, you could actually see the forearm and the ball is close to the ear. In other words, he didn't have the ball quite into this position, but his body is in this position. In other words, a late arm isn't a late body. If the body were late and the arm were late, we wouldn't have the word late in there. They'd be staying together. But the body squares up, and if that ball isn't ready For the shoulder to go forward, the pitcher knows it, and this is what this pitcher would do. He would either rotate his trunk further to the left. In other words, he adds in another beat to the motion so he can bring the ball into a good acceleration position, or he sends his elbow forward so he can then have another moment to bring the ball outward. Because when the ball is between the head and the upper arm and not in this position and his body is ready to go and the ball isn't, he's got to do something. And he knows this. And a kid can be 11 years old and do this because nobody is going to throw the ball forward if the forward motion would have the ball be swiping by your ear. It's sort of an intuitive, wonderful thing that pitchers know. So we have three errors that occur when the ball is not in this position, meaning the ball is not in the correct acceleration position when the tire and the body and the shoulder joint is the tire is ready to go. So we have three errors that occur. They rotate their trunk to the left for the right-handed pitcher to create an extra moment, or they might lead with the elbow. The pitcher might have such control over his trunk, he's not going to use that. Or he's going to lift that arm up, and all of these things tend to rotate the forearm into the right position, and then he delivers the ball. What's he doing there? He's trying to figure out how to get the ball in the right place to throw it. Meanwhile, he's lost most of the stretch around his shoulder. He's not maximizing his velocity. And most of the time, all of those things cause a rotation in the forearm that cause the fingers to not be on the ball. They either create a side spin when you don't want one. They move the fingers in a funny way because what you've done is had to juxtaposition the ball. That's the problem with the late arm. So a late arm isn't just, oh, we need to just get this arm in the right place at the beginning. No, the late arm affects the way the ball is going to spin, the way it's going to cut, the way it's going to be delivered. So this, the error occurs at the beginning of the motion. Now, yes, we have some pitchers that have a perfect arm at the beginning, and then they somehow get caught not getting into max external rotation position correctly. But that's not what I want to address here. What I want to address here is Because the epidemic I'm seeing is that pitchers, when they touch down with the front foot, and in the photo that's provided, this is a drill that you've seen, and I mentioned in the last episode when we covered this, uh, episode 11, stride foot contact is when the front foot touches down. It can be 
flat, it can be the toe, it can be the heel, and it denotes the end of the stride phase. So the minute the foot touches down, the arm has to be here because as he starts to rotate, the shoulder will rotate. If the arm is not in this position or close to it, you're going to end up with what you see in the other photo. Not what you see in the other photo, but with an error in that position, which directly affects the location. So a late arm isn't an arm issue. It's actually a location issue that is caused by an arm being late. Are there some guys that have a late arm and can pull it out at the last second? They know how to get into position. Yes. In fact, when I see an arm that's not timed correctly, I always say, and this is true for any time you're troubleshooting, okay, this moment here doesn't look good. Let me see what he does with it. But the problem is the epidemic is so bad right now that I'm seeing a lot of issues with location, issues with velocity, and issues with injury. So now, why is there the epidemic? All of this is to lead to this. Coaches, you all know that all of your guys are chasing velocity. And this kind of correlates to what you were talking about, Joe, with when the pitcher knows he's got to throw further, he uses his body more. Well, all the programs out there have them doing things with the body. And I'm not, this is not a show about what's right and what's wrong. This is not a show about judging, is this good or is this bad? I think all of you know my job is to educate you and also to give you to sort of like highlight things so you might be able to recognize a problem. When you take a precision motion and your goal is to get someone to do some part of it and to throw harder in this precision motion, you're absolutely right, Joe, with what you said with the when we move the mound back. There's only so much they can do with their arm. They have to start to use their body. Well, because so little is known about how the body really moves in the motion, the way it's done, tons of drills and tons of mechanisms are being used to get the pitcher to use his body more, sometimes with some explanation and sometimes not. They're putting belts around people. They're having them run and turn. They're having them do all these things, which, yes, does improve the intensity of the pitcher. And yes, it does give them quote unquote feel for how to be more powerful with the body. The problem is if it's not done in context and if it can't be integrated, what you're going to have is a body that is moving way ahead of the arm. And in every drill that I see that pitchers come back with from different trainings they've had to throw harder, and these are drills that don't look like the pitching motion. Their timing is so off and off in more than one way. They're not even a consistent off. They're like, they've got 25 different release points. They've got different laid arms. When you do something that tries to make you move faster in a part of the motion without it being integrated and looking like the motion, you have a completely different skill. So we've got guys that can spin around and throw the ball as hard as they can against the wall, and they're throwing harder. We've got guys that can run up the hill and run down the hill, and their velocity's higher. And then the job is, okay, now, if you can do that here, you can do it in the precision motion. No, they're two different things. So if you have this kind of thing going on, and you've got everybody doing it, you're going to end up seeing a result from that. And I believe that all of these things that are going on are creating this lack of efficiency in the pitching motion, which, as I said, has become so prevalent in the last four years. Now, what do we do about this? Because we're not going to get pitchers to stop chasing the idea of velocity. When you have a pitcher who is having a problem with timing, he is probably not a candidate to do some of the things that maybe you're giving other pitchers to do, and it doesn't seem to affect them deleteriously. When you have a pitcher who can't get his arm in place, 
when you have a pitcher whose follow through is so bad and he falls all over the place, this is not somebody you give a technique to to teach them how to use their body in a more powerful way by having them do a movement that doesn't even look like pitching. Power, exact power, needs to be taught in the exact motion so the pitcher is using the exact muscles. And within that framework, he's learning how to have a powerful movement. In other words, a great controlled powerful stride is very different than a stride that is created because he ran or he had a weighted belt on or something that threw him off. And then when he goes to do it normally, it's so out of sync that no other part of his body can keep up. So my caution, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've seen this and it's every, last week I had to deal with this issue and nobody out there is trying to hurt a pitcher. All the programs out there have some good and some, some things that maybe aren't so good, but every pitcher is not a candidate for doing all of these things. And when you start to see this kind of a problem, you're setting the pitcher up for injury because as I showed you in the picture with the pitcher at max external rotation, that pitcher knows the ball's ready to go. Every pitcher whose ball is not right there with that positioning of the arm is going to juxtaposition the rest of his body to get the ball in position to throw. And it's in that juxtapositioning at the most forceful time of the motion that injuries are going to occur to the elbow if he's lifting up or if he's rotating. It'll occur to the shoulder if he leads with the elbow to get the ball to have another second to bring the ball into position. So there's a definite serious vulnerability to injury, depending on how is that pitcher compensating, because every pitcher will move the ball into position. It's just, does he do it normally, or does he have to add an extra motion or movement to his his delivery so that the ball gets into position to throw? And that by that time, he's over-efforting, meaning he's losing out on the things that could give him velocity. So in the end, the search for velocity can end up costing you velocity because every pitcher should be making sure that every piece of velocity he has in him is being manifested as opposed to, oh, I'm not throwing, I'm not pitching correctly, but let me go try to find velocity. No, get the velocity out of you that you have. Then when you need to understand how to complement it, you'll know where in the motion you can maybe get more feel or be be better at what you're doing. So my belief is, is that we need to start being really careful with the results of some of the designs and things that are going on that are asking pitchers to be focusing on the product and not how they're doing it. And I know that getting guys out is the main thing, but we've got to get the pitchers to be less vulnerable to injury. And this is going to be especially true with so many of the changes that are being recommended. Yeah. You know, just in, in case you weren't sure, the uh, the photos that Angel was referring to, you can find them in the show notes if you're not watching on YouTube right now. You know, we talked about in episode 11, the stride foot contact, the proper position, and it. I just keep seeing the same parallel to how hitting is taught, baseball hitting. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of stance you have. It doesn't matter how you wiggle the bat, you know, where your head is, where this is that. Everything matters the moment your front foot hits the ground, where your hands are. And your hands need to be in in what many people call the launch position. They need to be in, in, in that position. If they're not there, you're not going to hit well. You're not going to hit with power. You're not going to be able to control the bat to hit the hit the ball consistently. You, you can do whatever you want, but once that front foot comes down, your hands have to be at the launch position. And in baseball pitching, it's it's the same idea. It's like, if doesn't matter how fast you want to throw. doesn't matter if you want to throw a curveball, a changeup. You have to get your yourself into that position at stride foot contact. The ball has to be in the right spot. The hand has to be in the right spot. Everything has to start from there. It doesn't matter you know, what you're going after. If you're not there, 
you're going to have issues and people are chasing velocity and they're, they're just missing the basics. And it, it drives me crazy because if I'm teaching hitting in a cage and the hitter is not getting his hands into the right spot, mm-hmm. like that's all we are going to work on over and mm-hmm. over and over. I don't care how much bat speed he has. I don't care how much power he may have. If he doesn't have his hands in the right spot at the right time, when his foot comes down, we're going nowhere. We're, we're going to keep trying and trying and trying to get his hands in the right spot at the right time. And I don't necessarily see that all the time with pitching training sessions. I, I, I because I, well, first of all, I think it's a little harder to see with, mm-hmm. with the naked eye and most, a lot of pitching coaches are, are not working with high speed film. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question to you, Angel, is how can we help the coaches get these pitchers learn to get into that right position so that they can at least get started from the right spot. Well, I think in episode 11, in fact, the, the photo we have here of Daniel in the stride foot contact position, I believe we addressed that. And actually, this is a drill. If you have a pitcher whose arm is nowhere near this, another way to look at this is his body is moving. His lower body is moving faster than his arms are moving. And that's the trouble with and. I think if I were to talk about what gimmicks out there are the most dangerous, they're the ones that are teaching strides to be done like they're runners. You've got to be really careful. The stride is, you know, there's a specific muscles that create the stride. You've got to be careful of how you teach or say that a pitcher moves down the hill. If you're moving down the hill, and the reason what you were talking about in hitting, Joe, is because the minute the front foot touches down, whether it's hitting or pitching, the next phase is called the rotation phase. So if the pitcher's legs are moving so fast that when his front foot touches, he starts turning, well, then he's turning to get into position to accelerate. His arm better be coming with him in the right way. Same thing with the hitter. He's got to rotate because that's how the the power is going to get the bat through the ball. So that's why you want to be careful about, you know, uh, you could say somebody's stride is too fast, and that might be why the arm is late. I mean, sometimes you have to look at, there may be something obvious. But in either case, as I've said a million times before, the ability of the arms and the legs to move outward from the body and the arms and the legs are moving in the exact same plane in the pitching motion during the stride, the ability to get the arms up to shoulder height at the exact same timing as the legs are moving out into the stride is an innate timing that everyone has. So first of all, Joe, to answer your question, you get pitchers up in this position and you have them throw from that. So they feel what it feels like to not have their arm way down by their knee when they're supposed to be getting ready to rotate the shoulder. Every pitcher will love this. They love this. This is a great drill because you're taking away all their movement errors. But To drive this home, in fact, every coach listening to this, do this. I know it sounds silly, but I've said it before. Do three or four jumping jacks, full jumping jacks, and notice that when your feet arrive to the outward position, your hands arrive together up at top of your head. The only time you ever had trouble learning this is when you were four and you did one or two, and you were all crazy, and you laughed, and then within a second, you're doing it. Jumping jacks are the universal timing thing. Now, do three or four jumping jacks. Then I want you to do three or four half jacks, meaning the shoulders come up to shoulder height as the legs jump out. Do those. Notice that you didn't have to struggle to figure out a new timing Because the arms and the legs did it themselves. Trust your body's wiring. Now, stand there, whether you're a righty or a lefty, stand there and only do what I call a quarter jack. Arm and leg out. Arm and leg out. Out, in. Out, in. And notice that once again, you didn't have to go, "Uh, okay, now I'm doing this. Uh, What do I do? No, it happens automatically. So when you see that a pitcher who should be taking advantage of that is not doing that, look to see which part 
is rushing? What part is doing what? Is he not coming out of the glove correctly? But the way you start this is to start with having him feel the timing. One of my favorite throwing drills, this is one of my faves here, is to have them stand as if they're, you know, with their feet underneath them, their arms are at their side, as if they're going to do, let me say it this way, a quarter jack, where they're just going to bring the arm out and the leg out. So they're just standing there together. Have them do the glove arm and the front leg at the same time and let them establish that timing. Then ask them to do both arms and the leg at one time. Then have them hang their arms down at their side and have them step out, arms come up, and throw the ball. So they're throwing from a straight arm position with the front leg stepping out. No knee lift, no shuffle step, no strides, just a step, arms come up, and they throw. And that immediately starts to rebalance the timing. Pitchers need to be rebooted when they're having a timing problem. 98% of the problems I see are timing issues that occur before the front foot lands. Most errors are occurring in the motion before the front foot lands, and they all end up materializing into affecting the one thing that pitchers need to do, which is they need to accelerate the ball when their body puts them in position to do that, and they need to be able to be behind the ball in whatever way is important for the pitch they're throwing. So those are the ways that a coach can start to work with this. But recognizing it and make sure, and I think the real take-home message from this is, don't shoot yourself in the foot with some of these things you're being told or you read about and they go, you, you almost can't, I'm, I'm assuming that as coaches, you can't resist trying some of the things where they say, you'll add five miles an hour, you'll do this. Be careful because not every pitcher should do that. Not every kid should be driving a Corvette when he gets his license at 16. Not everybody should be doing the same thing. We all have individual needs. You've got to be careful about this, and you can be shooting yourself in the foot if you don't recognize the problems that a pitcher has that makes him not a candidate for certain types of things. And that's what I think the real take-home message is. The epidemic I'm seeing is real because I look at more pitchers in a week or months I mean, I'm lucky because I get to see so many, but it's gotten pretty bad. And by the way, I forgot to mention, when I see it, I do a history, of course, with my pitchers, and 100% of the time, they have been doing or partaking in some of these things that I now know are not right for every person. You know, Angel, just to reinforce your point and to go back to my hitting analogy, Maybe I'm different from from the coach that's listening right now, but when I teach hitting, you know, there are a lot of different things you can do to kind of like build your bat speed and your power. Like I've we've hit basketballs instead of baseballs. You could swing a bat underwater. You could, you know, swing a weighted bat. Mm-hmm. I would never do any of those things until the mechanics were right. Because until the batter's mechanics were right and his timing was right, and again, his hands were in the launching position when they were supposed to be, all of that other stuff really isn't going to help very much. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's probably going to set him back a little bit. And I don't see that same philosophy with pitchers. You know, these pitchers, like you said, they have poor timing to begin with, but then they're they're getting sent into these, these velocity programs, whether it's weighted balls, whether it's long toss, whether it's this, whether it's that, mm-hmm. but they don't have the basic fundamental technique down before they go into it. And I think that has a big problem. And, and you know, I wouldn't do it to a hitter, you shouldn't do it with a pitcher either. And I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. Well, I think these uh, programs are successful because I, like I said, I don't, to me, nothing is good or bad. It's the effect it has on the performer. That's something you learn in graduate school. Things are neutral. Steak is neutral. Steak is great for some body types and not good for other body types. We don't blame steak. It's the person and how it affects them. Same thing with pitching. These programs wouldn't be out there if and successful if they didn't work. And you're exactly right, Joe. It depends on who's doing it and also what position they were in when they started doing this. 
when you don't have control over your motion, when you don't have your arm action correct, you are not a candidate for doing something that's going to make you throw harder because you're going to do what you're doing wrong, even more wrong, and it's going to be make you even more vulnerable to injury. That's why we have to start making not global decisions about our pitchers. Everything should be individual. We have to remember this is a precision skill. It needs to be taught with precision. You can't go from being sloppy and then doing something that's going to make them sloppier to trying to get them to be more precise. No, you you create precision first. And then if you want to intervene on one component of it where you never let them get too far away, you always make sure they haven't lost. Most of the pitchers I've seen recently, they were fine. They said they were fine. And then all of a sudden they can't find the plate or they have this pain or they're completely out of control. So they were not really candidates for what they were doing and or when they were doing it, it was done in a way where it didn't integrate efficiently or quick enough into the real pitching motion. Never get away from what the real skill is. Right. Never get away from what the real skill is. And you have to be careful. When you see one of your pitchers who's really good, and then you see him doing something exotic, and when he's doing it, he doesn't look right, don't let him do it. Because guess what? It will eventually affect the precision of what he does. All right. Anyway, great information on hitting. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, don't think you're going to run into a batting cage now. You mm-hmm. stick to the pitchers. <laughs> don't worry. I, I stay in my lane. <laughs> so. <laughs> great. I think that's it for episode 20. That wraps up season five, Angel. I think uh had a really good run this, this past season. I know we have. Congratulations, Joe. You made it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. Congratulations to you. And congratulations Thank to all you. the coaches who made it through the off season and are mm-hmm. heading into the season or already in season. Again, hope you enjoyed this off season series. We'll be back again at, right before opening day, about a week before opening day. So uh, check your phones around Oh, the third week of March and another little episode will be popping up. In the meantime, if you're interested in learning more about the long distance analysis and feedback that Angel provides through Skype and, and all that sort of thing, you can email her at angel at gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. And you can find out more information on how she does that and the pricing and and all that sort of thing. It's It's one way, you know, she can't be everywhere, but maybe you can send some things to her and and uh, get yourself analyzed and pitching a lot better. Once again, thanks so much for listening. We again will be seeing you in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound. <laughs>